0: Welcome again to the podcast where we try and scratch a little bit below the surface of coaching and see if we can find ways that we can all do it better. Uh, this is our second last one before we, we shut it down for a few months for the intercounty season to, to take place and, and put all my energy and, and effort into that and um i just want to say a huge thanks to everybody lads who has who has engaged in the podcast in the last while people who have listened and shared and 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 especially donated to the fundraiser for temple street Um, you know i'm 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 very appreciative of everybody who's taken the time and, and 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 shown the generosity that you have towards towards uh putting some money into that for a very very worthy cause Again, I'm going to try and keep pushing it for the next week or so, and uh, and you'll find that link in the podcast description below or on my Twitter page at Mike Quirk. And again, every every donation, lads, goes directly to Temple Street and, and is is most appreciated by by everybody. I mentioned last week as well that uh, I'd like to finish with a, a questions and answers session. Um, loads of coaches have contacted me throughout throughout the podcast, asking me different questions about their own context and. Uh, a lot of those questions have, have been repetitive, so uh, I thought instead of just answering one or two, it would be good if, if those questions continue to come in. And I've got some already um, that I'll tackle them all and, and, and hopefully might answer the same question for, for a number of different coaches in a number of different sports. So uh, again, if you have any questions that you would like me to tackle in the final episode, please send them to the Mike Quirk podcast at gmail.com. That's the Mike Quirk Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and I'll, I'll tackle them in the, in the final episode and, and, and try and give as comprehensive an answer to whatever question you might have as possible. Okay, let's get on to this week's guest. Patrick Harding is probably not a name that's going to jump out at you, uh, but he's a leash man, an Irish man, working in some of the top sporting environments in the world. He has been a performance coach um For Alex Albon, who, for those of you who've been watching Netflix in the last couple of months due to COVID, will probably recognise the name as as a Formula One driver with Team Red Bull. Uh, it's a great show for anybody who hasn't watched it, whether whether you're in coaching or, or not. There's loads to to learn about the dynamics, I suppose, behind the team. Watching that program, um, so Alex is a guy who who would have been driving in the second seat of of, of Team Red Bull next to Max Verstappen and um patrick talks about how you know his work with him the physical and the mental side of it and 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 how he tries to get the most out of him as a a formula one driver Uh, the sport is very different obviously but some of the messages are are very similar and consistent with with things that we've heard before Uh, he also works with michael conlon the boxer who's in camp at the moment and he and he details some of the stuff that he's doing right there he has worked in the past with paul dunn in, in in golf and olympic roars and and so on he was also a physio at at Arsenal football club for a couple of years so he has a very well-rounded appreciation of the differences and similarities between team sports and individual sports and the messages and 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 the key areas i suppose that that require a little bit of emphasis for for his role to get the most out of people so look whether you're a parent whether you're a coach whether you're somebody involved in sports or, or just a passing interest in different games this, this one, I think, is something that there is something there for everybody to get something out of if you uh, if you really listen and, and, and take some of what he's saying to heart. Okay, uh, stick in your headphones, go for a walk, and, and hopefully you'll enjoy this one. Okay, uh, so that's great, Patrick, thanks a million for, for coming on board, I, I appreciate your time and you're, you're obviously pretty busy.
1: Yeah, it's been a, an interesting time, I know for sure it's been different at home, but over here, because of the elite sports status, it's it's pretty been pretty much been business as, as usual for me.
0: Is today our, our, our pubs after opening, we're recording this on the Monday, so our pubs after opening up today.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not suggesting that i'm trying to finish this sooner just so i can go for a pint <laughs> but now coming coming home i mean it's it was snowing here in london this morning oh yeah but but <laughs> driving past a couple of pubs they're pretty busy already so yeah people yeah. people are braving the elements just to get a pint in
0: yeah it's gas i saw something there online that it was uh, hairdressers had 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 like made some ridiculous amount of money already in in, in one day since lockdown you know it's that's gas, yeah, yeah. Maybe, Patrick, just for uh, for people, Patrick, that aren't aware of your story, which is a fascinating one, and I only came across it myself uh, last week. So uh, if you could give people maybe a bit of a background of, and, and where you came from and, and what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, no but I mean, <laughs> I would say there's more people who aren't aware than who are aware. But yeah, um, yeah, Leishman, um, born and raised in The Rock, uh, played Gaelic football, heavily involved in, in GEA for my teens and into my early twenties, but qualified as a physiotherapist and worked for eight, nine, 10 years as a physiotherapist in elite sports, did my masters in strength and conditioning. Um, and then subsequently I've done my, done my qualifications in mental performance coaching. Um, yeah, mental performance coaching, both from a sports perspective, but, but also from, from, a, from a life and developmental and business side as well. Um, moved sports, uh, started in rugby, went to Australia, worked in AFL, uh, moved to London from Australia, got involved with Team GB for London 2012, became lead physio for the British Canoeing Programme for the 2016 Rio Olympics, so went to the Olympics with them, went to Arsenal for two years after the Olympics, and, and at the end of that two-year stint, started to take on some individual athletes took on Michael Conlan and Paul Dunn, the Irish golfer mm. uh, started to really enjoy working with individual athletes and the level of detail that you could get into and, and looking for more performance gains as opposed to you know you know yourself with squad sports very often when when games are coming thick and fast it's can we patch this player up for next saturday you know when are they going to be back on on the field and you're not always looking for the improvement you're kind of just looking for maintenance mm-hmm. and you know that's just a massive generalization yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, a, yeah. there's a caveat there but I guess from a physio point of view that's that's kind of what I became a little bit fatigued by and and this step into the individual athlete world kind of gave me a real taste for what it was to dedicate more time to one individual or two individuals and, and like I said try and find those little percentages of performance that make the difference yeah, and then really randomly, you know, very left field through Twitter by, by everything. You know, I'm not really on Twitter, but an opportunity came up to, to do some interviews with a company. Didn't really know who the company were or what they did. Did four rounds of really intensive interviews. And it was only in the last stage of interviews he said, look, we've got a confidentiality cla- clause. And, and the reason we didn't tell you is because we actually supply performance coaches to Formula One and Formula Two drivers you know, we'd be very happy to place you with one of our drivers. Um And that's how it came about. And that, that was kind of the road to motorsport. And, and like you said, that kind of phenomenon that is drive to survive. That's how you kind of got to see a, a, a ginger bearded uh, Irish leash man <laughs> in, in the corner of a hotel room talking to Alex Almond. So,
0: yeah, a, yeah,
1: that's kind of the long and short of it, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's well, it's a, it's a long really, man. Yeah, there's too much short about that. But uh, yeah, the, the, so yeah, I mean, so you were you you were working with Alex Alban as as is probably the thing that some people will, will jump out now outside of Arsenal and the Rio Olympics and Michael Connell and Paul Dunn and I'll get to them in a minute. But uh, so you were yeah. Eventually you you found your your way mm-hmm. with with Alex Alban and yeah. and for people that maybe haven't been watching Netflix like everybody else for the last six months, that program Drive to Survive is it was a a Netflix documentary which which they looked at Formula One which was which was. You know, from a coaching point of view, from an entertainment point of view, was it absolutely just fantastic show and gave gave people such a great insight into yeah. like just the, the, the dynamics of the whole thing as opposed to just guys sitting in the car driving around the track.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, <laughs> I've said it said it before. You know, it's the East Enders of of sports yeah. documentaries. You know, yeah. they but but it's incredibly well done. You know, mm. these guys. You know, they, they put the storylines together really well. And, and like you said, you know, what's really good about shows like that is, you know, F1 can, it, it's a very niche following. Mm. But, but shows like that really open it up to people yeah. who may not have been interested in the Formula One before. And I think sometimes, especially with the commentary from Sky Sports and from Channel 4, it delves so much into the technical. Mm. If you're not interested in the technical, you're going to switch the channel. Whereas something like Drive to, Drive to Survive is very much the reason we get involved in sport or we support teams or we support individuals is because there's an emotional element there mm. we get to know the drivers and we get to know their stories and and people can connect with that and that's mm. I think what draws a lot of people in. the caveat is I haven't watched it so right. <laughs> nice. just just a few screenshots that people have said yeah so uh, yeah, yeah. but yeah yeah you know I watched the first season when when we weren't in it and yeah, really enjoyed it. Really, really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah,
0: and like you're, you're you're so right though in terms of the connection there because like, I my mean, my wife would hardly watch if I was playing something. She she wouldn't bother watching it. But, but we watched that drive to survive, and suddenly we're sitting down. Whatever it was, two weeks ago, watching yeah. watching Bahrain. the race in Bahrain, yeah. and like you're looking at Verstappen and and, and Lewis Hamilton coming up the last, and you're you're engrossed in the fifty six or fifty seven laps. And like, yeah. that, like, I mean, my wife is asking me about where is, where is this guy racing now? What team is this? And, yeah. and, and other people are, you know, it's, it's just amazing the way they've done that in terms of, of locking people into it. But like to your end, then obviously you, so you were working with, with Alex Albon, who takes the second seed in, in, uh, in Red Bull in, what was that, 2020 now? Where are we at? 2020? Yeah, uh, 20,
1: at, at the end of 2019. So 2019, he, okay. So halfway through the 29th season, he got, prom- well, 12 yes. races into his rookie career. He got promoted from Toro Rosso to Red yes. Bull and Pierre Gasly got demoted back yeah. down to, to Toro Rosso, which is now AlphaTauri. They had mm. a name change. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, incredibly quick promotion from Alex, which was in term, in the context of what was happening within Red Bull and Toro Rosso at the time was deserved. But, but again, incredibly quick in, in his early development, mm. you know.
0: And and maybe without obviously I, I don't want you breaching any confidences or anything, but just in terms of the work then that as a performance coach that you're doing with a with an individual uh, a driver in that kind of a sport, what 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 is it is it are you are you focusing on the physical side of it or the or the mental side of it or are you encompassing everything really?
1: Encompassing everything. So for me, the easy bit is the physical. So mm. there's. You you know, with with a lot of sports where there's not one element of fitness or a biomotor physical performance that determines success, there's a general capacity of fitness. And it's kind of like there's a ceiling. Once you hit that, you know that the physical performance is not going to inhibit the success rate because they're at a physical conditioning that doesn't impede their performance. And and it's very much like that with, with Formula One. You know, once you get them to that level and once you understand where that level is, then it's actually quite easy to expose them to enough training stimulus to get them to that point. And actually really luckily, Alex is one, a very naturally athletic guy, but two is a driver who makes a direct connection between his physical condition, his physical conditioning and his success on track. So he, he really buys into the fact that if he's physically fit and well prepared physically uh, nutritionally from a sleep and recovery perspective, he knows that his likely likelihood of success on track, is massively improved so you've already got that buy-in so from a physical point of view yeah you know very much a traditional pre-season uh building his aerobic capacity working on his anaerobic threshold doing a lot of tempo work then working on to developing his stroke rate um sorry stroke volume getting his central adaptations in and then developing his overall trunk neck shoulder strength um So yeah, like I said, really broad spectrum of physical fitness that these guys, and we can, we can delve into that a little bit more. Um, but also, yeah, absolutely preparing him mentally for, for performance. Um, Mm. so in terms of, I guess, firstly, what does he need on a race weekend from a mental perspective to feel prepared and to feel ready to deliver? Then it's, what are those things on a race weekend that are more likely to impact your performance negatively that you generate yourself? Mm. So what are those thoughts and emotions and feelings that you feel like are a negative influence on your performance? Um, and you know, there's so many of these cliches that go around, but the reason that they've stayed around is because they're actually quite appropriate. One is, you know, control the controllables. And the second one is focus on the process. Um, so it's, you know, like I said, around what does he need to feel men- uh, mentally prepared for a race weekend within that spectrum? What are the things that we control that we can put in place to make sure that when we get to a race weekend, you are not thinking about those things. You're not wasting that mental energy, That that we that we know that that's already ready to go and that. We're really just focused on your execution. And then, uh, you know, taking them away from that scoreboard pressure, not worrying about the outcome. The outcome comes Mm -hmm. because you deliver what you can do technically on track. Um, And that comes from breaking each segment down of a race weekend. What do we need to do to be successful in session one? What do we need to do to be successful two, three? What do we need to change in qualifying? What do we need to change for a race? And actually within each of those sessions, things change, emotions change, the outcome of the sessions change, you know, very much with, with formula one, there's such a time, obviously it's a time sport. So there's, Mm -hmm. Every session, there's a benchmark, of performance against you and your teammate, and you against the rest of the field. And the irony of the word teammate in Formula One is the reality is the yeah. only person you're actually racing is the guy across the garage yeah. from you. They couldn't be any less of a teammate if you yeah. tried. Yeah. So it's it's getting perspective every time you leave the garage. What was that gap? And you know, for Alex, you know, he had the generational talent of Max Verstappen in the car beside him, a guy who's had six years in Formula One and five years at Red Bull. You know, arguably a car built for his driving style. And, and your benchmark is him in every session, in every qualifying, in every race. And understanding that the journey that Max is on is very different to the journey that you're on right now. So let's keep drawing you back to your journey. What do you need to do to go quicker? Because his time is irrelevant. Mm. The only thing that's relevant is you and how you prepare, how you deliver, because that brings your time. Yeah. And that's the stuff that we can we can focus on.
0: Yeah. And and you know, funny... Uh, like I, I, I spoke to Ray Ray Boyne last week, and Ray Ray would have been the performance analyst with the Dublin footballers for for uh, for all their successful years, really. And uh, same same theory, like same talk about just the idea of the process and focusing on those uh, those different phases of the game, as opposed to again worrying about the outcome or, or, or yeah. focusing on that scoreboard. And I and I thought it was a really powerful message as well for underage coaches of all sports. That idea of you know, you, you mentioned it there, even just breaking down the segments in terms of, you know, um, qualifying and, and your know, different segments of the race and, and looking at that as yeah. opposed to the bigger picture, I think, is, is, a, is a big message, whether it's an individual sport or, or a team sport.
1: Massively so. And actually, we break it down even for, further and, and we go into real specifics of visualizations of individual aspects of each of those sessions particularly quality and race less less so session one two and three because mm-hmm. there are practice sessions and there's you know there's there's less writing on those but certainly from aspects of qualifying to to the race we're not only breaking down into segments but how do we prepare mentally for individual aspects of those right. segments so you know we talk about the first two laps of a race but actually what we're working on is what's your grid procedure what's your start procedure what's your strategies for turn one What happens if you're on the left side or the right side of the grid? What happens if that car goes there? Where's the runoffs? So we visualize every aspect Mm. of that first turn before Mm. we even get around the first corner because that first corner can really make and break your race. And then we're, okay, you've got around the first corner. What has happened? What are the options? What do you need to do in the first two or three laps? Is the strategy, okay, we need to make some positions here. So let's get after the cars in front. Is it okay? We need to maintain our position here. Need to manage your tires. You just have to defend a little bit. Keep in touch with the car in front, but not let anyone through. So there's so many different mm. aspects of the strategy that you're yeah. actually breaking down. The level of detail is huge, yeah. but actually, it's still something that you can prepare for because there's so much data, there's so much onboard work, there's so much video analysis that's done of previous races, and you know these guys know the tracks inside out. So. It's actually the information is there to be able to build some really good visualizations of what you, what you can and what you can't deliver. So
0: yeah, like even even, even the intensity of that, though you know, like uh, just the way you 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 roll that off there about the first you know even the first turn, like like if you if you weren't visualizing that you weren't preparing yourself for it, and the speed at which it's happening,
1: like it's incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. Like you take, even take a qualifying lap, which to be to be honest, qualifying is my favorite aspect of the race weekend right. because that's the truest performance of the car and the individual. So on a, on a race, the cars are probably going at least six, seven seconds slower per lap. Mm. Whereas in qualifying, it's literally the car on the limit, mm. the driver driving that car on the limit. And, you know, on a quali lap, you know, you see the steering wheels, it's like something from NASA. Yeah. You yeah. know, Alex might have 12, 13, 14 switch changes to make on a steering wheel in a quality lap to maximize the car for the conditions on track. So you, you, you do a quality lap and you look, you know, P1 to P10, and mm. you're talking about two hundredths of a second, sometimes mm. 300 second, and, and that's the mar- that's the margin for error. And you kind yeah. of think, you know, in a minute and 30 seconds, we're talking about two hundredths of a second and yeah. he'll be able to tell you where he lost that two hundredths. Right. hundreds. He'll say I, I broke, five meters too early turn four or i didn't get on throttle quick enough turn six exit turn six and they'll know where that two hundredths of a second is yeah you know so and and for me that that's the truest execution of performance it's you know margin for error you're talking hundreds of a second mm. and it's it's the confidence and the ability to drive the car on the limit and know that the difference between sticking it in a wall and sticking mm. a p1 is is so so so, so narrow and Yeah, I guess yeah, selfishly for me, that's that's where I see Alex at his truest, where the the pressure and the intensity at its is at its most. His race craft is incredible. You know him as a racer; he he's a born competitor on track. But where we actually needed to work on the most was his qualifying day. So so where I saw the most development from his was on a Saturday, and that's what gave me, I guess, yeah, that's why you focused on that a little bit more.
0: Yeah, yeah, brilliant. That's. that's that's a that's just a fascinating insight you know because it's 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 the mental the mental intensity of it is something that we see in other you don't you don't see it in other sports actually you you see degrees of it in other sports but it's the speed at which this thing is coming at you and 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 whether somebody you can be doing something everything right and somebody can clip the back of you and suddenly your race Mm -hmm. is over or something else it's it's so difficult, I suppose, to analyze all of that stuff mentally with the information that you're getting. Like even that last the last couple of laps in, in Bahrain, you're listening to, I think it was in, like obviously there was a different stop strategy or whatever it was, and Hamilton was trying yeah. to you know manage his tires on the way home. And, and the conversations and the stuff that's going on is just
1: outrageous. Yeah. I mean, look, you cannot argue Hamilton is, you know one of the greatest drivers that ever lived he'll very often come on the radio with about 10 laps to go and go, my tires are never going to last. And suddenly they do, you know, he lives up <laughs> to the name. Um, I'm a little bit biased. I will put that caveat on there. Um, <laughs> he's
0: hemming it up. You reckon he's, he's, he's uh,
1: building it up. <laughs> he is. I mean, look, you know, Max is an incredible driver as well. And Bahrain was probably the closest we've seen the two of those mm-hmm. consistently across the race weekend. And, you know, yeah, I guess Max will rue, will rue that decision to go wide and, and leave track and have to give back track position. But there will be more opportunities for that Red Bull card this year, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. You looks- know,
1: it's, it's competitive with the mark. Mm. And I guess, you know, going, going back to what we were talking about around kind of the performance side of it for Alex on a, on a Saturday, there's two things that we do. One is I only ever I only ever ask him about his effort and his delivery of what he can control. We actually never talk about the result and yeah. and very much with all of my athletes. And it's, it's something that I very often to say to people who are coaching at any level is only ever praise or ask about effort, never result, never execution, um, effort, effort, and effort and how he delivered on what he agreed he was going to deliver. On. Um, and,
0: and for, for the people listening, why, why is that? Why is it you only ask about effort and you don't ask about the, the
1: result? can't control the result like you just said you know there's so many things that can influence the result whereas actually the only thing that can influence the effort is you Mm -hmm. and and you're what I again with Alex you know and with anybody that I work with I'm constantly bringing it back to them it's that self-awareness it's bringing them back to okay fundamentally I'm in control of this and you know there's a there's a thing that we talk about the power model which is the only there's four things that you're responsible for as an individual is what you think, what you feel, you know, how you communicate or what you communicate and how you act. And the second that you allow somebody else to take responsibility for one of those, you're giving your power away. So, so when we talk about, when I talk about performance with anybody that I work with, it's always in the context of what they're in control of. And it's very often in the context of that power model, you know, what are you thinking? What do you feel? How are you Mm -hmm. communicating that? And ultimately, how does that make you or how does that, I guess, how does how do you want to behave on the back of those three other elements? Mm. Um, and and if you keep constantly bringing it back to that self, it becomes less about the environment and more about their own delivery and their own delivery and that awareness of their own delivery starts to bring about that growth. Mm. I mean, look, how many excuses do you hear in sports from sports people, you know, and and motorsport is one of those sports where, There's about a thousand things you can blame from the Mm. tires to the track, to my track position, to the engine, to the wind, to the, you know, it's, I could write a book on motorsport excuses, but actually fundamentally for me, if you're P1 or P20, are you, are you confident comfortable and are you happy with what you delivered as a driver, whether that's P1 or P20. And if you're, if you're confident and comfortable with what you delivered and content with that, then that's our job done for today. Mm. You know, you can't expect miracles, but what I do expect is for you to deliver what's in your ability. Mm. And that's within your control. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. The, the, um, just to, to veer away from maybe the driver for a second, just the dynamic of the, of, of we'll say like the, the pit crew kind of a, kind of a model. Like I'm, I'm fascinated about, you know, the tire changes in, what is it, one, 1.8 seconds or, or one whatever.
1: Point, I think the world record is 1.79. 1.79. And that's Nine. Red Bull have that. Red yeah. Bull are the best pick crew in the in the paddock, yeah.
0: Yeah. And and is there obviously there's specific work done on on, on that crew and, and developing their kind of ability to, to work like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the, you know, they do huge amounts of work on that because it can be the making and breaking of a strategy is is your is your is your pick game. Yeah. Um so they you know, there's huge amounts of work done around execution of that at the factory. So the practice that they put in around the timings of it it's one of those it's where there's two aspects of it and again you know it comes to this kind of sports that you coaching uh, as well you know it's one the individual understanding their own role and owning their own space so mm. what is my component within this team am i preparing myself to maximize my component of this entire um, event so you know one pit stop am I mastering the technique and the technical ability that I need to deliver? And then the two is incorporating that into the wider system and the wider team of, okay, I'm one aspect of this 16 man Mm -hmm. pick crew, but actually we need to operate as a team together. So, you know, how do I need to communicate? You know, if you see, you know, it's, you know, I've worked across formula two and formula three and in those categories, you've got one guy on each tire. So the one guy, operates the wheel gun wheel off wheel on but then you get the formula one and it's three guys on each tire mm. you know so when in that okay my ability but also how do i communicate with the two to two guys on my tire but then as a team how do we work together so it, mm. you know i wish it was more technical than yeah being being confident and being confident in your own ability communicating with the two individuals directly with you on each tire but then just practice 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 you know mm. It's that that age old say repetition of task, you know, doing it over and over and again. And if there are elements of that that, you know, there's a little bit of a weak link or there's an element of failure within that consistently, then you address that element of failure specifically. And, you know, is that an individual that needs to be swapped out of the team? Do they need some extra support to get up to speed and they get that level of support? You know. Mm-hmm. But but it's fundamentally you know there's a real team atmosphere about it you know those guys are very proud of what they deliver on a race weekend and they should be because of the effort that they put in but they're only as strong as their weakest link mm-hmm. so yeah you know, there's a ver- there's very much a, um, I guess a, a feel a feel there's very much a, an accountability around how they deliver on a on yeah. a week to week basis you know they hold themselves and the team accountable.
0: There's there's probably more of a team element with those people than than with ah. the two
1: drivers, obviously. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Just just maybe, Patrick, because that, look, that's all, I'm I'm fascinated by all that stuff at the moment. I I think that's just that's brilliant. And there's so much there that yeah, it's obviously a a foreign uh, world to a lot of people in terms of Formula One. But those messages are are consistent across team sports, whether it's Gaelic football or basketball or rugby. It doesn't matter really.
1: No, absolutely, and you know it's it's the team elements of that, but also it's the the individual characteristics mm. of someone who is going to be successful in their sport. It doesn't matter if you're in an individual sport or in a team sport, or you're at sub-elite, elite, or amateur yeah. level. You know the the characteristics that make us successful in sport are, are very often the characteristics that are, are in successful people in 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 the normal environment, the business world, etc. You see so much consistency in in what makes an individual successful
0: Hmm. um
1: and you don't have to be in formula one to see that
0: yeah 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 and and i mean like you mentioned michael connellan obviously which is a boxing uh you know boxing sport and then and then paul dunn which is you know golf like the the games are obviously very very different but yeah the the messages are 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 obviously somewhat consistent across the whole way
1: yeah yeah absolutely they execute, like you said, the technical side and the execution is different. And, you know, the, again, when I go in and work with somebody like Mick and, you know, I haven't worked with Paul for a while, but I work with uh, Olympic canoeist Liam Heath, who's, you know, got gold, the silver and a bronze from Rio and London and he's five-time world champion. I'm not going into these guys or Mick and going, oh, look, yeah, you know, you need to work on your hook or you need to work on your job or going to Liam. Yeah. Look, geez, I think your paddle stroke's a little bit long. Because <laughs> they tell me where to go. Yeah. But it's, it's me... What I'm doing is very much bridging the gap sometimes between the athlete and the coach and also understanding the physio, physical and physiological demands of that sport and bringing my expertise there. Um, you know, so, you know, Mick had a spar on Friday. He came up to me afterwards, you know, he's had a little bit of a debrief with his coach and he comes up and he said, you know, what was that like? So he knows what I'm critiquing his sparring on is very much his, application of the physical capacity of his boxing so i'm looking at his energy is it consistent across all rounds was there peaks and troughs of that energy his application how he held himself mentally he's not looking for me for the technical aspect Mm. of that Mm. and that's me very much understanding my role in that environment yeah so while the sports are very often different all you really need to do is one understand the physical demands of the sport understand the execution demands of that sport. So what makes that those individuals successful in performing the technical aspects of their sport and then, you know, being clever and and, and understanding the environment and building relationships with the key people in that environment. And that stuff you can template across any sport. That's just self-awareness. That's just having some emotional intelligence. And, you know, I guess being a physiotherapist initially in my career, was such an incredible foundation in that because, you know, you had vulnerable people coming into you for treatment and very often there's an emotional element to the physical. So it gave me a really good grounding in one, developing my skills and in interpreting those emotions and how those link with the physical, but also being able to develop relationships with different types of people in different environments who are in yeah. different stages of, of rehab or, or, yeah like I said, very often, you know, there's patients that come into me, they no more needed physical intervention they just needed somebody to talk to so mm-hmm. you know I, like I said in, in my role very often a key element of my role is, is the development of those relationships and mm-hmm. and knowing where I need to be in terms of bridging gaps between conversations but also knowing where I don't need to be and staying out of it and allowing you know conversations that happen that I just don't need to be involved in.
0: Yeah, 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 and and again, like I, 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 had a conversation with somebody the other day, and it was this idea of like coaching, that how how coaching courses and and coach education for all the all the governing bodies needs to start going in this direction an awful lot more as opposed to the technical and tactical stuff that's yeah. really all they're filled with is that this idea of, of, of coaching is about relationships, is yeah. about, it's about communication and understanding what they're going through and trying to find ways of, of getting the most out of it by, by talking to them and asking them and, and getting their opinion on things. Whereas, whereas now if you go to a coaching course, it's a case of here's a book of drills, here's a book of yeah. this, here's the X and O's. Whereas really we're, we're, we're moving past that now really, aren't we?
1: No, I, look, and, and the more and more, so, you know, very much my philosophy around coaching is, yeah, absolutely, there's a performance element, there's a physical side. More often than not, now I'm, I'm starting to work with young, highly talented, technically gifted individuals who are transitioning into professional sport. Mm. And actually, more and more, my philosophy is what I'm trying to do is help these individuals to develop as human beings. To be successful individuals in their life. So you take somebody like Mick, he's an incredible father. You know, he's a dedicated son, great brother. He also is a very talented boxer. Mm. His identity isn't the boxing, his identity is Michael Conlon. The same with Alex. Alex is a really great guy, funny, clever, creative, you know, brilliant brother, brilliant son. He also happens to be very good at driving a car around the track, (laughs) but actually in 15 to 20 years, nobody will remember either of those, you know, as long as they're happy with their own development as individuals. And what I'm really trying to do is help them set themselves up with the emotional strategies to be in life, not necessarily their sport, because they're both the same. You know, we, we, you know, we, we often say, ah, you know, this guy is, is, he's got this personality and then he steps on the field and he's a different personality. There's no such thing. Mm. The emotional strategies that we've learned are from our experiences and the beliefs and the values that we develop from our adolescence and our interactions with our families and our parents and our friends and all of the experiences that we have. We template those strategies across into sport. So very often what I'm doing, and and a lot of these young guys, because they exist in bubbles, they may not have had that emotional exposure from school or from, you know, just being out with their mates because they've existed in the sporting world. You're just helping them to develop effective emotional strategies to deal with their sport, but also saying, look, this, see what happened here. This happens in life. Mm-hmm. Like this is, you, you use the same emotional strategy or, or vice versa. It's like, okay, you've co- you've overcome this really difficult time, this difficult period in your life. This is a difficult time in your sport, the mental resilience and the coping strategies that you used here we can use here mm. okay we may we maybe need to tweak that and some of that might be negative mm. some of that might be really positive let's take the best bits of that but actually the, the two are very often one in the same and actually what i'm really trying to do is like i said trying to help support the individual to grow mm. emotionally and as an individual to support like i'm going to do myself out of a job but very often for me you know when i look at any of these guys what i get more from not necessarily the results that they have but actually, sometimes when we have these really, uh, really transparent and really honest conversations about them being really introspective and self-aware of something that's happening in their environment that demonstrates to me that they're growing and they're more mature now than they were a year ago. Mm. And that's that's really my job, you know.
0: Yeah. Make, making them more autonomous and, and, and more in ah, control of their own gig Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, and separating themselves out from their identity as a sports yes. person. Their identity is them. Like that's mm. self. That's that's self-esteem. Self-esteem is the value that you have as an individual. That's not in any way linked to what you do. Mm. The doing is the self-confidence. That's just some. That's a good feeling that you get from being good at something. And that's context and content uh, dependent. Your self-value and your self-esteem never changes. It's unconditional. Mm. And sometimes it's helping them to realize that, or yeah. at least getting them the helping them to have the awareness to be able to draw back to that it's like okay i may have had a crap day on track or i may have had a crap sparring session that's just something i've done in one one moment in time that doesn't influence who i am or what i you know what yeah. I mean to other people or what I mean to myself.
0: Yeah, yeah that's, that's it's interesting. Yeah, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of a lot of sports people, you know, you see people when they retire from their sport, how, how, how they struggle 100%. for a long time. And because, 100%. like you said, their identity is or has been wrapped up in, in the sport and being successful in their sport as, as a sports person. So it's probably a big jump for, for people, really.
1: Hugely. And, and this is probably one of the key things. And, and I've had conversations with parents before about this. And and a a really classic object relation that pops up and, 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 you know, from a coaching point of view as well is you know, these young athletes, you know, in their teens who are developing, it's very easy to get drawn into a result. So Mm. your team wins or they have a good result in an individual sport and everybody's happy and we go out for dinner and we have a little celebration. And then you don't win or you don't have a very good result. And the mood is a little bit different. And maybe you don't go out for dinner or maybe things are, and very soon that young individuals start to correlate love mm. and success mm. and love and result. And that's, that's what we call an object relation. And that's a really dangerous thing to happen. And that's why, you know, when it comes back to what I say about I only ever praise effort is, is because that's the consistent. Mm it's not about the result because, you know, and with Alex, I, I, I'm a consistent, you know, whether he's good on track or bad on track, I give him the same level of energy. Okay. If we have a podium, things are naturally going to be, but if he's had a bad day on track, I'm not walking around with my head in my hands or my hands Mm. in my pockets. You know, I bring the same level of energy to him that he gets when he's had a good day Mm -hmm. because then he knows, you know, there's a, there's a separation there between, okay I've done this on track and then this is the emotion that I get from Patrick he knows that that emotion and, and we've yeah. we've had it you know we, we made an agreement you know those guys when they finish a session to go on and get weighed after qualifying and after the race is that we finish each session with a hug it doesn't matter whether you're first or you're 20th like I'm just proud of the effort that you've put in because mm. I know that you'll have given everything that you have so I would say for coaches and for for kind of I guess, parents with kids who are coming into their teens and who are becoming more emotionally self-aware or aware of emotions that they get from other people, um, you know, be careful about how we praise success and how we act when when success doesn't necessarily come. Um, because very often we can, we can form really negative um, beliefs and values around the emotions that we get from the people closest to us based on our performances. And actually, yeah. you know, as parents, that's never what, they're trying to do but sometimes that's that's what can be picked up
0: yeah i i think that's a powerful message though and and we all we are all probably you know we're all probably guilty of it at times like when the kids yeah. come home and they're after doing well on a test it's a case of oh brilliant let's get something to, nice to eat or <laughs> you know and, and you are you're setting them up for that idea of your your love and affection nearly is is entangled with the the results that you bring in the door Absolutely. whether it's a game or or, a, or an exam at school it's it's fascinating yeah Uh, Maybe, Patrick, just uh, on a a slightly different note, but what what does your week kind of look like at the moment? Like, are you just bouncing around everywhere Mm. or what's what's happening with you?
1: Yeah, so it's very much kind of athlete schedule dependent. So um, Alex is based in Monaco, um, so he spends a lot of his time out there. He's actually back in the UK this week. Um, I'm working with Michael. He's in camp. He's got a fight on the 30th of April. And then I'm working with a Formula 3 driver um, this year as well and the Olympic athlete so say take for this week for example this morning I was down with Michael first thing he had a session in the gym did a little bit of work beforehand At lunchtime I went to the Formula 3 driver we did a session in the afternoon tomorrow back with the Formula 3 driver he goes to Italy on Tuesday evening then on Wednesday I'm with Alex up in Milton Keynes Thursday I'm at the lake with the Olympic athlete and then Friday I'll be back with Michael in the morning and potentially uh, Alex in the afternoon, so it's very much based around the athletes' individual yeah. schedules. So I'll have their their all of their uh, physical and work will have been programmed for them. They have I use Team Builder so they they have access to that. Obviously, so when it's independent, it's independent, and I check in with each of them on them. You know. This is, these are your sessions for today. This is what we're looking for from an effort point of view. These are the kind of highlights, et cetera, et cetera. So there's the physical aspects of the delivery, but very much like we talked about, it's about creating in the independence too. So just because I'm not around doesn't mean that you don't get the work done. Um, and actually it's really good for them in terms of they know, okay, I'm with you today, but tomorrow this is you, you got to deliver that on your own but I want to see the heart rate trace. I want you to upload that information, do your palms afterwards so that we can see, we can check in where you're at. Um So yeah, like I said, it's very much individual week, it's week by week. I don't think there's ever a week that's the same, which is, is yeah. really nice.
0: Brilliant.
1: Obviously the logistics get a little bit tricky at times, um, but yeah, that's just, a good and, and good good yeah. and bad part of it. And what?
0: Work. How about the COVID? Then has has COVID kind of impacted your ability to get her? Like Monaco to Milton Keys? is a nice a nice uh, jump there from for Alex. Yeah. yeah. How has that kind of impacted your gig, or or have you been able to continue on with elite sport? Kind of.
1: Yeah. So actually, it was a lot easier to travel last year because there were sports exemptions, mm-hmm. so we could travel in and out of the country once you were uh, PCR tested and you did a negative <laughs> test, you could could come in and out of the country and pretty easily it's a lot stricter this year and what they've got in the uk now is a five-day test to release so again you need to test coming into the country you have you've got to have a special exemption reason for travel but you still have to quarantine for five days and then on the fifth day you take a test and if that's negative then you're you're released to work okay Um, from a practicality point of view when i'm in the uk because it's in the elite sport environment I can work still individually with each of these people, so there's not really been any restriction per se. You know, at right at the start of lockdown last year, lockdown one, you know when things were a little bit more up in the air, we were restricted. But again, we did a lot of work over Zoom or on the phone, or you know, again allowing them to take a little bit of ownership more over the delivery side of things. Um, but certainly from a face to face perspective, this year has been fine, but the travel has been a little bit more tricky. You know, we go out to. I was out in Austria last weekend, and go out to Barcelona next week. It just, it's just a little bit more tricky with the paperwork and the travel side of things. But you know what? I'm really lucky that I can still do what I what I do. And you know, there's a lot of people suffering out there who are, you know, you know, stuck in a, a room at home, working from home from the last 12 months, or not being able to do what they love to do. So you know, I'm, I do feel really lucky that I've been able to continue delivering what I, what I need to deliver with yeah, a little bit of extra hassle, but, you know, I take that hassle just to be able to continue doing what I'm
0: doing. Yeah, and sure, like that, we're. it looks like that that kind of light at the end of the tunnel is getting a little bit brighter mm. now for all of us, and we're, we're starting to get out the right side of it, I suppose. But um, m- maybe just um, for, again, I'm, I'm conscious that, like, somebody actually contacted me today from uh, a, a rowing context, that they were a rowing coach, and there's a lot of team sport coaches that listen and stuff. Uh, in, in terms of, of the team dynamic, I suppose, uh, is there stuff maybe, Patrick, that you've kind of when you started out that you know what? If I had my time back, I'd like to go back and 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 do that over a little bit because I'm after learning a little bit more now along the way. Is there stuff maybe that you'd love to messages maybe for coaches, especially in that team sport idea that you know what I've I've uh, I've I've learned this along the way that that would probably help you in your own context.
1: Yeah, you know, look, I'm always I've always been very self-reflective and and like to think I've been very self-aware. I have my own coach that I've been working with for the last three or four years to help develop me as an individual, but also as a coach. And, and obviously the more skills you get and the more experience you get, you kind of look back and you go, Jesus, yeah. what was I doing? Yeah. And, and, you know, you gotta, you gotta take that with the caveat that, you know, you were doing your best at the time. I think from a, I guess, coming back to kind of each individual as an individual, I think it's difficult, but, Certainly, there's times when I was in squad-based sports and maybe struggling a little bit with the numbers of athletes that I was dealing with that I would probably missed little flags for athletes who are struggling a little bit more, maybe on the emotional side. And taking the time to just have a conversation, even five minutes, and just say to them, you know, are you okay? Just checking in with individuals. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned over the last few years is, you know, we can assume that because some of these guys and girls have made it to the elite sporting world, that they're in some way superhuman, Mm. but actually the anxieties that they suffer are exactly the same anxieties that we suffer in the normal world. They're in sub elite sport or the stresses that people have in their daily lives. You know, these athletes aren't immune to that. If anything, it's ramped up. So I think, yeah, from my perspective, probably what I'd like to have done more was just have a little bit, you know, a bigger check in with people or maybe being a little bit more aware of, of, of people who are struggling around me and, you know, maybe missing a red flag or two mm-hmm. along the way. Um, yeah. You know, like I said, de- these individuals, even though they can be very, very talented, you know, don't underestimate the kind of pressures and, and stresses that they can, they're under. We, yeah. we have sometimes had this assumption, especially with football, you know, but why, how are they depressed the they're on 100 grand a week mm. you know money doesn't make you happy you know so, yeah and,
0: and I spoke to Barry Solan last week Barry yeah, Barry guy. And Arsenal, like, and yeah great yeah. guy and uh, same yeah. point you know I made the exact same point that whether you're on a hundred grander or you're on a hundred, I know people might find that hard to believe, but whether you're a hundred K or it's a hundred K or a hundred euros, it's, it's, it's the same pressures and the same, like you said, same worries and fears and, and anxieties about performance and different things that are, that are taking over them, I suppose, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept, but like you're, I, I think it's coming across kind of loud and clear, Patrick, about the idea of, of, you know, just, talking talking to your athletes like yeah. talking to your players and, and obviously the technical and tactical side of things is important and, and it's not to be ignored but i think what needs what needs a little bit more of a push is that idea of this this side of it is equally as important of people skills and Absolutely. the talking and the communication.
1: Absolutely and look you know and, and I guess that, that opinion for me comes very much from the role that I see myself having in these environments. Mm. I very much, like we talked about already, I very much leave the technical coaches yeah. to deliver the technical. Yeah. So, so I'm very much coming from that perspective and, and you know, the technical coaches will look at it, well, I'm trying to make these individuals better technically at what they need to do to the yeah. so they can be successful, but actually, like you said, that goes hand in hand, um, and for them to be successful very often on the pitch, they have to be successful off the pitch, mm. you know, because, yeah, like I said, you know, those individuals, and again, you know, the ones who have a really good support network, who have, you know, good family support, good friendship support, have outlets outside of their sport, who have a good grounding of the self, themselves as individuals. It's not, it's not a coincidence that very often they're the ones who are more successful in their sports than the, than the, the people, unfortunately, who don't have that structure or don't have that same ability to separate themselves from, from who they are as an individual and who they are as a sports person.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, for, for sure. And it, and it's, it's, it's just, it's where it's going. It's where it needs to get to a little, a little bit quicker. And, and I take your point that you, you're probably, you're concentrated on that role. Whereas for people over here that are looking after a team or looking after like that, whether it's Roars or whatever it might be, they're fulfilling that role as well as the technical yeah. and tactical. So it's it's just important, I suppose, to to be more aware of it and, and be more conscious of it, and and maybe try and you know be a little bit more active in that side of things as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's difficult. You know, we all have so much on our plates. You know, and COVID has been a difficult time for everybody. So yeah, you can you can become a little bit more absorbed in what you're dealing with yourself. But but certainly, you know, you know. If, if you have been coaching a team for a while and you know, you, you understand somebody's baseline behavior and that behavior is a little bit off. It's as simple as, you know, is everything okay? And, mm. you know, going back to the learnings, like you said, you know, the amount of times, you, you know, you're busy, you're trying to get, you know, a players notes written up online and you're on your laptop typing away and he comes into the treatment room and he's, you know, they're kind of hanging around and you're like, are you okay? While well, you're still typing? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Like, I was like, yeah you know is there a point to this and then they'll eventually go and and it's only now you look back you know did, was there something that they wanted to talk yeah. about but you know I'm, I'm i'm too busy trying to get this email finished or you know this paperwork done and i've missed an opportunity maybe that somebody wanted to have a conversation that had a meaning for them you know so yeah yeah I, I, yeah i guess it's it's sometimes we can ke- get a little bit caught up in, in in the actual environment and the timing side of things and actually yeah, yeah re- remember it's about people as well
0: People, yeah, people before players. That that's probably the the key message that's been coming out of all of these things, which are which is a great message, I suppose, in one sense. Uh, Patrick, I don't want to I, I don't want to tell you too long because I, I know you're you're uh, oh, you're, you're rushing out there for uh, for a couple of pints for the first time in about twelve months. <laughs> but maybe maybe just if there's if there's any. Um, books Patrick or, or resources maybe that people could kind of you know uh, if they wanted to kind of find out a little bit more around this side of things is there any kind of recommendations that you might have for coaches
1: yeah so I mean, I guess there's a couple of books that I've, I've read that I've got a lot from and the first books that kind of inspired me delving a little bit more into the mental performance side was Chimp Management by uh, Dr. Steve Pears um, and that's a really good book around understanding I guess that's an um, expression of emotion that is linked to sport and, and how we can help athletes bring awareness to why and and why those emotions change based on performance and actually how how can we give some simple language and techniques to these athletes who can help to 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 get a little bit more consistent consistency consistency, uh, consistency of application with their with their um, with their with their sport and their emotion. Another book I really enjoyed was one called The Goldmine Effect by Magnus Ancherson, who he looked at. Um, I mean, he had a really interesting background himself, but he basically went and looked at pockets of, um, I guess, communities where there was really successful um, groups of individuals in certain specific sports. So he went to Kenya. Um, I can't never remember the the Irish priest's name, but the running club in Kenya that's had 12 Olympic gold medals and he went yeah. to the sprint club in Kingston town where both has come out of, and again, they've had 12, 13, 14 Olympic gold medals come from these clubs. But, you know, why is it that these specific environments are able to generate consistently so many successful individuals? Mm. And actually, again, you know, it comes down to what we're talking about. It's not necessarily that you know, these areas, okay, there's some uh, physical and genetic uh, variables within these environments that make somebody exactly it's more successful are more susceptible to being successful but actually fundamentally what makes them successful is the culture of that environment yeah. and, and you know developing an environment of competition and success helps to breed success in individuals who have the technical ability um, so yeah that was that was a really really good book uh, that i read recently. the gold mine effect yeah gold mine effect yeah.
0: And, and it's funny with kenya or, or, or kingston it isn't the it isn't the facilities that they have over there anyway. no. you know it's, it's
1: no really interesting and actually you know he talked a lot about the spring club in in jamaica and you know he turned up one six o'clock he was told to be there at six o'clock in the morning he turned up and he saw this you know dirt track with some rope yeah. and a shed in the corner and he was like he said to the taxi driver this can't be it and the taxi driver was like, no, this is the only sprint club in <laughs> Kingston. Yeah. And he said about half six, this coach turned up with a plastic bag and a stopwatch and a plastic chair. And he just put the chair on the side of the track. And then suddenly athletes just started. He said, coming out of nowhere. And before he knew it, there was like thirty athletes. And this guy was just sitting on a chair with a stopwatch and a, and a whistle. And these guys were like training. So he had a catch up with the coach afters and very much like that. He was like, look, you know, you Usain Bolt alone would build you yeah. a proper track and facilities and he said i don't want it he said the reason everybody turns up here every morning is because they want to get better at their sport because they want a way out of here he mm. said if i build facilities and they've got a canteen and they've got the best gym and swimming pool he said they're going to turn up for different reasons and he said the clarity of the purpose that each of these athletes brings every morning is that they want to get better mm. and and it comes back to that you know intention drives attention which drives performance so those athletes come in there every morning have the intention i I want to get better because i want to get out of here mm-hmm. the attention comes with that i want to get better what is the coach asking me to do today if i do that properly my performance ultimately will start to improve yeah. if i apply myself in the right way so it's it's such a really simple strategy yeah. but it, it's very much you know that book i, th- I thought was a really interesting yeah. read
0: I must check it out. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't come across it. But I, I we, we were over in, um, we were over in Jamaica years ago with, uh, with a Kerry team, and we went and visited Bolt and. Good sprinters we, down in Kerry. Oh well, no, we I had a hot ball. They <laughs> threw up a ball between myself and Bolt. I beat him for a hot ball. I think that was <laughs> that was about the only thing I was ever going to do. But uh, but yeah, we we had a look at the, we we saw that place the, the the track, and it was it was like a. It's like a feel, like it was just a kind yeah. of a dirt track feel that you would be saying there's no way this guy came out of here. But yeah, he did, yeah. And 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 many others, I suppose. So it's I suppose that idea you mentioned the culture and mm. the people as opposed to the facilities or, or the finance, you know. But and, um,
1: and look, you know, guy, you know, guys, in your position, that's okay, you know, we bring the technical and we bring the form, but what you're really trying to create is a culture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and that's the hardest thing to create because that that relies on everybody's buy-in. So everybody, like we kind of talked about with the pit crew, you know, everybody understanding their role and owning their own space. So, you know, very much in professional environments when I was in physiotherapy, you know, if this is my role, so, you know, pre-session setup. So if I say I'm going to have a pre-session set up ready at nine o'clock and athletes come in for five to nine and it's not ready or I'm not there and I come in at ten past nine. I, I give the impression to those athletes that there's a there's leeway here in performance.
0: Mm. My
1: responsibility as a physio and my contribution to that culture is if I say something is going to happen at a certain time, it's ready 10 minutes before that. Mm-hmm. And that's me owning my own space. Now, if everybody does that and they own their own space and they bring a culture and a commitment to that, that is the excellence of what they want to deliver and every we put that together as a group, then that brings a culture of performance and excellence. And I think, you know, we, are, we can sometimes think, oh, how do, how do I contribute to this? Well, actually, sometimes all you need to do is just do your own job and do it really, really well.
0: Mm.
1: Everything, the accountability and all that stuff can, will, will come with time once that culture develops and people become more confident in that culture and you can challenge individuals. But actually fundamentally just own your own space.
0: Mm. And 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 from you having been in both of those kind of a team environment and individual sport, it, would you say it's easier or, or more difficult or complicated to develop that kind of positive culture within individual sport or, or team sport?
1: Team sport, much more difficult. So much, much more difficult because yeah. there's just so many more moving parts. Yeah. You know, when, when I when I'm working with an individual, you know, it's it's only the two of us, really. Mm. Yeah. And, and you know that's the reality it's easy and you know the the strategies that i use you know one of them is controlled failure so you know young guys there was an issue not an issue but you know alex likes to play games you know gaming online like michael does you know spend you know they can spend four or five hours games and it was about 18 months ago and it was a couple of times i turned up early to train and we had some key sessions and they were tough we're working on some tempo anaerobic stuff which is difficult and is his effort was good, but his application was terrible. And it was because he wasn't, he was going to bed at two o'clock in the morning. And I've, and I've been like, okay, you know, we need to look at your sleep strategy. You know that we've got key sessions. You know, I'm here at eight o'clock in the morning. You know that we need to get this done and we need to get it done well. The responsibility, your responsibility here is to go to bed in time and to make sure that you've had enough rest and recovery. Okay, that's your ownership, that's fine. And it, it happens again. So, you know, then you, I don't change my behavior. I keep programming. Actually, there was a couple of times I made the session even worse than it was because he needed, and he needed to learn that if you come to the session in that physical state, the likelihood of it being a lot more uncomfortable than it could be is going to be dramatically increased. Mm. And and it's about shining the light on that session afterwards when he's at his worst. It's like you found that tough today, and he was like, "Yeah." Is there a reason why you found that tough? Yeah, I didn't go to bed till two o'clock last night. OK, you know, it's it's sometimes I think there's, especially in professional sport, it's a fear for allowing them to fail. It's like, oh, you know, we've got to put such an environment around some of these guys that we take away their independence and we take a do We take away their responsibility for their own performance. And, you know, we, I've had coaches in the past who's like, you know, we need to make sure this is ready. We need to make sure that that's ready. And, you know, we you know, if we get them to drop their bags here, then we can put the bags in the bus. And it's like. They can carry their own bags. Yeah. I'm not a concierge. <laughs> like, if you're telling me a professional athlete can't put their bag on a bus, then we're, we're, we're setting yeah. them up to fail already because we're taking the basic level of responsibility off them. Mm. And, you know, again, with a lot of my guys, I, you know, there's times where I go, this is yours to own. You've mm. done the work, you understand the science, you know the meaning, you have the value behind this. This is yours now. I'm not taking responsibility for this if you want to be successful, this is a component of it. You choose whether you incorporate that or not, you know? Yeah. So, and, and, uh, you know, that's my learning now from, an, uh, you know, a, yeah. a lot more experience, you know, seven, eight years ago, I'd have been like, Oh crap, you yeah. know, we, we got to change this or maybe I'm not doing something right. But actually now there's a, you know, I get a real comfort in, in and that as a philosophy for me, because mm. again, I, I feel like that contributes to that independence and that, ownership over over their own responsibility and I think that's one of the key elements of success
0: Yeah, and that idea of, of handing over the ownership and, and, and giving them that kind of autonomy it, it it's just so powerful in terms of the development of, of that kind of intrinsic motivation and, and all the benefits yeah. that come along with it
1: 100% and it's like you know it, it's like if you need me to motivate you in professional sport mm we've already lost. Yeah. We're, we're actually, you know, we're done here because that's not what this relationship needs to be. And, you know, you're inviting me on this journey and I'm here to support you from a sports science point of view and obviously a human development perspective, but actually fundamentally, if you're not motivated to be successful, then, then this is going nowhere. Mm. So yeah. we either, we try and delve into that. So, you know, wh- where is the barrier to that motivation? You know, and then that'll give us a question or that'll give us the answer to whether or not this is something that you need to pursue or, you know, it's, it's just not there.
0: Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed that Patrick. I think it's been, it's been enlightening, man. I've, I've, uh, I've got about five pages of notes, I think, man. So that's, uh, that's, that's always a good sign. I think, yeah, maybe, good. maybe Patrick, just to finish up, if there's anything that we haven't touched on that I haven't asked you that you'd like to throw out there or, or any massive message to, to coaches that you think might be a, might be a powerful one that we haven't covered?
1: Um, You know, I, I think everybody's on their own journey. You know, I think fundamentally what's made me a better coach is, is understanding myself more. Um, and, you know, that can be a scary thing too. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I've been getting professional coaching myself for the last three or four years and, and, The reason I invested in that was naively thought that it was a way of me developing a skill set that I could use for other people. But actually the first two years of that was me understanding all my own crap and what were the barriers for me, not just in sport, but in my own life. Um, And I think, again, you know, as coaches, we can get too wrapped up in how we want other people to do. Mm -hmm. But actually, you know, it starts with you um and and take some time for yourself and understand what you need as a coach to get yourself back to baseline and be ready to be involved and invested in these young people's lives because if you're not in the right place how can you expect them to be so Mm. yeah i think you know we like i said we can get a little bit caught up in in our daily lives and you know schedules and and being pushed for time and, and not really giving ourselves the time to develop our own our own um emotional strategies and and be aware of where we're at as individuals and yeah be be happy as coaches and be happy as individuals
0: yeah brilliant be be happy we're all seemingly getting back on on the fields and on the tracks yeah. and in the gyms very shortly which is which is going to be brilliant so uh, yeah. patrick look i i, I just want to obviously you're you're an exceptionally busy character man so i'm 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 delighted to have got you and and Thank you so much for for your time. Obviously, um, maybe for the, for the people that are that are listening, Patrick. I started this thing originally as a as a means to try and give you know coaches a bit of um, a bit of thoughtful debate, really, and, and and ways to maybe think about their own coaching and to improve. And then also as a as a fundraiser for Temple Street. So this will be the second last one. Um, before we wrap up, for the inter county season comes. So, for the people that have donated already, I want to say a huge thank you. And for anybody who has not, now would be a really good time to find the link in the podcast description below or on my Twitter page at Mike Quirk. Uh, and again, Patrick, I just want to say a huge thanks for your time. I really, really appreciate it. No problem, Mike. No pressure this year with those East Sides.
1: Thank you.